Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Want to Thrive Church this morning? How's everyone doing? All right. Some of y'all are too cold to clap. I understand. Great to have you guys here today. Um, if you're a first-time guest with us, we'll say we're honored that you would come worship with us and that you would actually um, come at 9 a.m. Uh, to be here early with us. And if you're a first-time guest, make sure you fill out your connection card, put it in the blue basket beside the TV um, so we can stay in touch with you. And again, as I say every week, we promise not to go visit you, right? So we're like, I ain't putting the blue card, uh, the blue basket card thing, whatever in there. I'm not doing that because if I do, you're going to show up at my door want money. We promise we won't do that. Amen? Well, we're in a series on Elisha. And uh, Elisha has been warned about faith, about risk. We've been talking about burning cows and burning plows, right? Remember that? We've been talking about digging some ditches and glass jars. Well, today I have a very special guest with you, uh, my mentor. He's kind of my Elijah. You know, Elisha had Elijah, the mentor. And he's going to come share with you today on, on the, the power of risk. I'm going to speak to you about that. But I want to say just a few things. We're part of a network called Redemption Ministries. And it's a network of 65 to 70 churches in eastern Virginia. Um, a lot of my friends are, are in the area. Um, it's an awesome part to be in. Bonnie Conrad, you know the kids director? Everybody loves Bonnie, right? Your kids do? Amen. Well, she's the executive assistant at Redemption Ministries, and today we have the overseer of Redemption Ministries, my friend and my mentor, Dayton Burt, who's going to come share with you guys and pour into you today. So if, I, if you will, put your hands together, and let's welcome Bishop Dayton Burt to Thrive Church today. And I want y'all to do something for me, okay? Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Here. I can feel it already. Don't mean mug him the whole time during the sermon. Y'all smile, be, be nice, laugh at his jokes, Now you okay? pay attention now. All right, laugh at his jokes, don't mean mug him, smile, even give a thumbs up if you need to, amen? <laughs> mean mug Welcome me. Bishop like Bird. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Wow, what a great day it is. I love the worship experience, and uh, I've got to meet many of you drinking coffee, and who made the brownies this morning? I got to thank you. I'm going to take a pile of them home. They are so great. They are awesome, man. I just love it. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just delighted to be here. I've uh, been a part and, and, and known the history of this church for so many years. And you're in a, just an exciting season. And you're doing great things. And I just want to encourage you. Um, as I was sharing with uh, Pastor Kevin, we talked about where he was at in his sermon series. And we'd planned a, a little while, a, while ago that... Um, if I had the opportunity, I'd like to just come in and, and kind of build on that and really encourage you in, the, in where you're at in your uh, ministry. So the uh, PowerPoint up here, we'll talk about that. And it's titled a little bit different than probably what we're speaking about here. But the, the point is, is basically the same, that when we take risks, like the video showed, we are releasing a confidence in God. And when we do that, we're able to pursue something greater than we have right now. And so with the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And sometimes because of our pain and our hurt from our past, 
Even when we become a Christ follower, even when we begin to follow Jesus Christ and embrace his teaching, we can still let those painful experiences hold us back. And there is so much potential, there is so much more purpose in your life, you probably don't even, can't even imagine the things that God has in store that he wants to do in your life. And then you take that together corporately, wow, the sky is the limit for Thrive Church. I mean, just, it, it is going to be great what God's going to do through individuals, families, and members. And together, this church will make a great impact on um, the community. So when I use the word prevailing, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about the idea of being victorious, being overcoming, and uh, prevalent, and having great influence. And so we think about having a prevailing church. Oh, just broke your chair there, Pastor. That, what, that is great. Now, this is what you call prevailing. Don't mess. You better not put me a mean mug on me. I'm going to put this right here to remind you. Don't mess with me. Uh, that might be an indication I'm heavier than him. Or it might be an indication that I'm stronger than him. I'm going to take the stronger, okay? <laughs> Pastor Kim, I'm sorry I'll buy you a new stool, man. Next time when I come, have a metal one. <laughs> it's reinforced steel, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And so uh, we think about this prevailing. And, and one of the things that we, we know that we have to do is taking risk is defying the odds. I mean, I, I like the, um, the guy that's the underdog. How many like underdogs in sports and in, in, in those kind of things in life? There's something innate about us that want the underdog, the guy who's never won the tournament, the, the team that's never won it before. Let's go ahead and beat those guys that have won it all the time. So since I'm a Steeler fan, I know that I see my friend over here. I know that you won't, you won't like me because we've won so many times, but now you're happy because we're losing this year. So let's just get over it, okay? <laughs> for sure. So think about that for a second. Um, prevailing odds, impossible odds that set the stage for amazing miracles. I think about October 31 in 1915. Uh, there was a man, he was a German monk back then in the Catholic Church. His name was Martin Luther. And uh, in Wittenberg, Germany, he had begun to really wrestle with some of the things that were going on at that time in the history of the church. And he wrote a series of statements called 95 Thesis. And he put them on the door at the, at the uh, Wittenberg, Germany. And that simple act began a revolving domino effect that he actually changed the history and the course of the Christian church. So that much of where we're at today was because of that one man who said, things aren't right, I'm just going to post my opinions. And it affected the rest of history. I think about Oscar Schindler. You maybe have heard about him, maybe you've watched the movie. He began to circulate a typed list of about 1,000 names. 297 women and 800 men. And these people were all rescued from Nazi concentration camps. You know what? When he did that, he lost everything he had. He was died broke because he gave every penny away. And yet the domino effect 500 years later was that 6,000 descendants were, of those survivors were alive. Because one man decided to use every penny that he could get 
to make a difference in one person's life. That's impossible odds that set the stage for amazing miracles. I think about December 1st in 1951. There was a seamstress named Rosa Parks. She stepped on a bus that afternoon in Montgomery, Alabama. And at that time in the history of the United States, segregation laws required a black passenger to give up their seats to white passengers. She refused. She was arrested. She lost her job. One act of courage against impossible odds inspired a citywide boycott, a court battle, and within two years, bus segregation was ruled unconstitutional and thus began the civil rights movement. One person decided, I'm not going to give up my seat because it's unjust. And it changed the course of history. Now, in the Bible, there's this man who's called Benaniah. And I want to just use him as an example. Benaniah, I'm just going to call him Ben for today. Because his name is not very modern, okay? So we're going to be Ben. Ben, the son of Jehoiada. Now, that's a strange name. So we'll just call him Ben, the son of Joe. Joe Schmuckatelli. All right, Ben, the son of Job, he was an awesome, awesome fighter. I mean, you know, he was smack down, he could do it. And he's from Gabziel, so we, let's make it he's from Chesterfield County, all right? And he performed these great, awesome exploits. And uh, one of the things he did is he struck down a Moabite, one of the enemies there, one of the best warriors, one of their, two of their best men, and then he went down into a pit. Get this, on a snowy day and he killed a lion. Now we don't know if he slipped into the pit or if he saw the lion and jumped into the pit but this dude defied every odd imaginable and with his bare hands killed a lion in a pit and not only that but on a snowy day. How many knew that it snowed in the Bible? I, I didn't know that. I mean I, I'm from the north. I'm from Pennsylvania. We got lots of, lots of snow. I did not know that the Bible there was snow back there. But in the mountains there were. And so this guy, awesome dude, one of those fighters that w had courage. And he said I'm going to defy the odds. And he struck down. And then the third thing that the scripture records about him is um, he was an Egyptian. And he met up with an Egyptian who had a spear in his hand. And Ben, Benaniah, he uh, went against him with a club. Now, can you imagine that? He has a club in his hands. The guy's got the spear. And he says, I'm going to beat you down. And he takes the spear from him with his club and beats this huge Egyptian warrior. I mean, the dude was just incredible. He was like... You did not want to meet this guy in the, in the back corner. You wouldn't even want to meet him in the open light. Because this was one bad fighter. I mean, he would make it in today's cage fighting or whatever. I mean, the guy was something else. So, as I think about this, I think about, man, Ben and I was an awesome guy that really gives us an example of someone who defied all the odds and just in an ordinary day did something that he just had an opportunity, seemed right, and went ahead and took care of business. So, I think that it's a picture of this church. I think this story could be even a picture of your life. Someone who's like, I'm just doing, I'm not doing anything big. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what? You never know when you're making history. Because the people who are making history didn't know they were making history when they were making history. I mean, Luther didn't know it. 
Rosa Parks wasn't trying to make history. Oscar Schindler wasn't trying to be in the books later on in life and have a movie about him, did he? He's just doing the normal thing that he felt he should do. Defying the odds and being a history maker. That could be you. That could be you. And I imagine that when he met, met this line, you know, lions are pretty, pretty bad dudes in the animal kingdom. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't want to mess with them. Have you ever seen some of the, the YouTube videos or Funniest Home videos where someone falls in or has to deal with a lion? And you've heard some of the terrible stories where great lion tamers, the lion had a bad day. I don't know if its hair wasn't right or what, but turned on the dude and ate him up and just crumbled him and crushed him. I mean, lions are, you don't want to be in a pit where neither of you can get out and it's snowing and you don't have a gun with you. I mean, that's, that's not a good day. It, it reminds me of, uh, I think it was Alexander or Harold's No Good, Very, Very Bad, Terrible, Horrible Days. Anyone ever read that book when you was little? I read that book. Was it Harold's or Alexander's? Anyone know? It was Alexander's No Good, Very Bad, Horrible, Terrible Day. And he woke up in the morning and, you know, the, the, the milk was sour and he woke up and his clothes weren't ready and he spilled his cereal and he went out and he, his grapes spilled out and his sandwich wasn't right and he missed the bus and everything went wrong. Well, I think Ben and I had one of those days. I'm just going down, taking care of business. All of a sudden, whoa, oh my goodness, a lion. A 500-pound lion. They tell me that lions can run 35 miles per hour and they have eyesights better than the human 20-20 vision. Of course, that wouldn't matter if you're in a pit. He can see you and you can't run. So it doesn't matter how fast he is, you're in big trouble, you know what I mean? But I could just envision this because I like to think what it would be like. Stinky, smelly, rah. I mean, he's got the smell of blood on his mouth. He doesn't floss, he doesn't, dent, he doesn't brush his teeth, he is nasty smelling. And here he is a couple of feet from you, what are you going to do? Ben, I just... Taking care of business. Taking care of business. You know what I mean? He's just taking care of business for that day. Uh, sorry about that, Pastor. I should have warned him. <laughs> he told me, don't try to sing, man. <laughs> so let's look first of all. One of the, what do, if you want to defy the odds, if you want to be a risk taker in life, just number one, just learn to take risks. These are small acts of courage. These aren't big things. Small acts of courage that have a way of changing the course of history. Maybe you know the story about Daniel. Just out there by himself, praying, doing the right thing. And you know what? All of a sudden, he takes a stand for God and it turns the course of history. I think about Peter and John in the New Testament in the book of Acts just going about their regular church business, going in to pray the church every day. There's a guy there that's sick and he says, hey, can you give me some money? He says, I don't have any money. But you know what? What I do have, I'm going to give unto you. And he prays for him and the guy's healed. Now he, maybe he prayed ten times before no one was ever healed. But you know what? That day he just went around and did what he thought he should do right for God. And it, and it Change the course of history. Man, taking risks. I want to read to you the story that Jesus told called the parable of the talents. And it's in Matthew 25. We'll have the, the uh, um, story, the scripture up there for you. But I want to just tell you the story, not just read it to you. And a talent, by the way, was in those days originally used as a reference to weight. 
about 75 pounds. But over time, the talent, especially post this story, it became known and used and understood to be something of value that became an ability or a gift for which you earned money. So at first it was more about weight, such as a weight of gold, weight of silver, and it took on this idea of your compensation, your wages. And in that day, the scholars tell us that one talent, which was an extremely large amount of money, was worth about 6,000 denarii. Now, a denarii, you got to understand this, one denarii would be equivalent to a day's wage. So if one talent was worth 6,000 denarii and one denarii was worth one day's wage, I'm talking about a lot of moolah. You know what I mean? I mean, this is some good money. So one talent is approximately, on the high end, about 20 years of salary. And in the story, the master offers one, he offers two, and he offers five. So there's this master and this great CEO, entrepreneur, he has this great business. He offers to his workers, he says, you know what, wherever Victor's at, or Daisy, I'm going to offer you 20,000 years wages. I'm going to give it to you ahead of time. Would you be happy, Daisy? She says, yes. Don't you love that accent? Yes. I love it. Uh, and so um, this, he offers this one. He says, I'm going to give you one talent. I'm going to give you five talents. And I'm going to give you two talents. But he says, I'm going to go away. And I want you to see what you do with this. And so he leaves. And then he comes back. And he talks to the guy who has five talents. And the guy with five talents says, Master, look what I've done. I have taken that five. And I have multiplied it into ten. Now, five talents is about a hundred years of salary. This is a huge, the point is, a huge amount of money. If you became a millionaire instantly, or a half a millionaire by two talents, or just a, you know, quarter of a millionaire with one talent, what would you do with it? And he goes on to tell the story, the guy with two talents, he took, he said, I multiplied it and created four. And then the one with one who would seem like I don't get much compared to everybody else. I don't have as much as everyone else. I don't have as much talent or skill or ability. Sound effects. I was just getting a download. (laughs) So what happened then, remember what he said, you're supposed to laugh at my jokes, okay. So anyways, uh, the one guy with the one talent, he says... I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to lose it. I I didn't want to take the risk of losing what you did give me. And he said, so I just buried it. I got it back for you. I didn't lose anything. And then surprisingly, at the end of the story, Jesus says, you know what? You didn't do good at all. You're a wicked, evil servant. The whole point of this message, of that story, was Jesus was saying, I value faithfulness. Not by what you can save. Not by what you can keep and hold on to and hoard. But I value faithfulness by the risk that you're willing to take with the possibility of greater reward. And so Jesus turned the tide on our normal way of thinking. I'm going to sit on my money. But you know, the more you sit on it, sometimes the less you have. Because you've got to keep on making it work in life. So hopefully I'll walk you through that story there all the way to the end of that chapter. Or the end of that, that chapter, verse 30, verse 30. Now I want you to go to um, 
what do we do? If we have these talents, if we're like Benaniah, we come up with an opportunity. Number one is remember, seize opportunities. Or I would say see opportunities and then seize them. You can't seize it until you see it. And sometimes there's opportunities all around us, but we don't have eyes to see the opportunity to do good. The opportunity to do something that maybe in the past we'd be a little afraid to do. We'd be a little intimidated. We'd be a little unsure. So what turns these problems into opportunities? I believe it's prayer. So when we begin to pray, like every day, we commit ourselves to the Lord. And we just say, Lord, this is your day. Whatever opportunities you give to me, I want to see them and I want to seize them. And there's little opportunities. And those little action steps of courage, you never know. It just might make history. I mean, it's making history. It might get in a book. It might impact someone's life that they become literally a world changer. So how do we do it? We seize it. The idea of seizing something is to progress and to take it by force. So when you see an opportunity, you can't be um, hold back. You got to be willing to step into the pit with the lion. You got to be willing to step into some, not literal physical danger, but a kind of a danger for myself. It's out of my comfort zone. You know what I mean? And so you step out of your comfort zone and you do what Jesus would do and amazing things happen. What's an opportunity? An opportunity is a good chance to advance or to progress the love of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Colossians 4, 5 is a great verse that kind of captures this idea of living life with risk. It says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Now, he's talking to a group of Christians who are under great persecution. So the idea of outsiders is people who are not already in the household of faith. And he says, be wise. And then it says this, make the most of every opportunity. Say it with me. Make the most of every opportunity. Opportunity is a chance, a window, a door to progress, to make progress. The love of Jesus Christ. But it says this. Notice what it says in the next verses before. It says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So basically, in order to seize opportunities, you've got to be in a prayerful attitude, in a lifestyle. That's why prayer isn't just a discipline you do in the, in the morning. It's really a lifestyle. And some people are geared to prayer being on the spot this time, just like this. I'm not like that. I don't know if you figured it out yet, but I'm, I've got a little bit of energetic, like I got the energizer battery going in me. In fact, someone said, Dave, you remind me of the, the, the strange looking Christmas present under the tree. You ever had seen one of those and they're wrapped really weird and they got the bow and it doesn't match the paper? You ever seen one of them? And then you look at it and you're like, look at that stupid package and oh boy, it has your name on it. You know what I mean? And then you're waiting for the next day. It's like, oh boy, it's from Aunt Sally you haven't seen forever. And so you're thinking, oh boy, what's this going to be? Something dumb. And you open it up and lo and behold, what's in that gift is exactly what you want and exactly what you need. Well, that's me. 
<laughs> if you can get past the weirdness and the strangeness and the rapping, I can tell you there's a gift in me that's just for you. Okay? So, uh, we have to condition, we have to face our fears if we're going to deal and, and take risks like Ben Benaniah did. And God says, live in an attitude of prayer. Live in an attitude of relationship. It doesn't matter that you do it every morning at a certain time for a certain number of minutes. Because people like me, I don't function that way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spontaneous person. And I like to pray at all different times. I've been, I've been known to stop and pray in an airplane. Coming back from Ethiopia to the United States, I was in the front part. I was surrounded with Muslims that are on a spiritual pilgrimage. I'm telling you. And there were clerics and there were people in there. And this was like five, six years ago, seven years ago. And there I was talking to some Muslims about their faith. Now, the interesting thing was, that evening, we had to stay all night at the Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, which is where Ethiopian air comes. And so, all of South Africa, Central Africa, goes to that airport before they'll fly west to Saudi Arabia or Egypt, wherever they're going to go, to do their spiritual pilgrimage, because this was December. So, this is one of the very important holy times for Muslims. So, there we are all night. Here we are, a couple of white guys, over here to the far side of this airport where you stay all night. Now, over there, they smoke, and it stinks, and there's all this other stuff. And here are all these clerics on the other side. Well, I'm with Gary Bryant, myself, and um, uh, an African... Uh, well, he didn't come back with us at that time, but we, we went with a, a French-African guy. We did his wedding for him. And here we are all night long there, and I can't sleep. Now, if you know Gary Bryant, he's a very... D personality, C person. He's going to sit there. He doesn't want to go messing with some. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's going to read a book and study. But here I go, way over to the other side of the airport and sit down and start talk, just watching. I catch some eye. Hey man, how you doing? And I start talking to him, and I move over to their table and sit down with these religious Muslim clerics. And I ask them questions about their faith. So then that same group goes on this airplane. airplane, And lo and behold, some of them are sitting right in the front. I've got like the best seat in the airplane. It's a big, big, big Airbus type plane. And we got talking and someone about three rows lashes out. You're for Bush. And all of a sudden it turned political. And it wasn't a good feeling. And they all begin to get upset and they begin to get intense about hating America and hating President Bush. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any answers. I didn't want to defend anybody. What I did is I got on my knees. This is serious. I got on my knees by them and I said, I said, sir, I apologize on behalf of the United States of America for how you feel we have treated your people and your country. Would you please forgive me? And there were tears lit in my eyes. He looked at me. And I just stopped the moment. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any answers. I said all I can do is ask him to forgive the country that I'm a citizen of. And I prayed. Sat back in my seat. And it was like it totally changed. 
And I got to talk with them the rest. I got some of their business cards and things. I didn't plan that. I don't know if I affected anybody's life. I just did what I felt I needed to do at the moment. That's me. We're all different. So sometimes we have to learn to recondition our fear with God's grace. Because there's been times I've tried to witness to somebody and they about slapped me and punched me in the face. I remember I used to go knocking on doors. Get out. No, I don't want you. So never confuse a single mistake with a final mistake. God always reconditions your failures and your fear with his grace. And that means sometimes we've got to chase lions. And when I say chasing lions, I'm thinking more of the spiritual lion. You know, the Bible actually makes a picture, Satan or, or the enemy and darkness in the world is a picture of a lion, a roaring lion. And he has this loud sound, but he has no teeth to affect you. But he's still described in the scripture as, as being a roaring lion and he's looking to devour someone. And we're told to resist him and to be steadfast in the faith. Don't let the roaring lions of life hold you back from taking a risk in obeying the Lord. James says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and this evil force, and he will, or this thought will, flee from you. So what do we do? We've got to see problems, but we've got to see opportunities in those problems. How do we do that? We reframe our past mistakes with God's grace. We also have to reframe our problem through Scripture and through worship. And so... Remember this, who you become is never determined by your circumstances. There is story after story told about someone whose life was not defined by their past circumstances. Jesus said things like this, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecute the prophets... Who were before you, they persecute me. So basically he's saying, I know this is bad, but I want you to reframe it. Instead of seeing a problem of persecution, see the possibility of love and grace and forgiveness. You see? Jesus has a way of taking and reframing our life's negative things and turning it into something positive. Even James in chapter 1 said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why would I do that? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it finishes its work, will you be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Man, worship is seeing God and expressing the greatness of God and acknowledging Him and recognizing who God is. We call that worship. You sing is worship. You live. Your words, all of life is an expression of worship. Paul said in Philippians, whatever is true and whatever is noble and honorable and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, whatever is gracious, whatever is admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, I want you to think and meditate on those things. Why? Because those things, when you think about it and dwell on it, reframe your life. They reframe the circumstances in your life. Now you're at a place where you can embrace uncertainty. You see, most of the time, we want Jesus in our life. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow the scripture because it's going to do something good for me. 
It's going to give me purpose. It's going to give me direction. It's going to fix my family. It's going to do this and this. But I have to be honest with you. When you become a Christ follower and you really follow Christ, there is a degree of uncertainty. And those that have followed Christ long enough know that the road is not perfectly smooth. Sometimes there are potholes and things that you can't imagine happen in your life. But you know what? When you learn to embrace uncertainties, you have a new faith and a new confidence in the Lord. And this uncertainty is the point where faith enters the equation. So the Bible says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So it's an adventure of faith. When you follow Jesus, it's an adventure. Oswald Chambers says, To be certain of God is to be uncertain in all our ways. You never know what a day may bring. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It would rather be an expression of breathless expectation. So what I'm saying, I'm saying going on a wild goose chase. Where the wind blows, I go. And that means you need some new lenses. So you need to put on some new scripts. You need to put on something that now you can see life through a whole new different lens. That's what Ben and I did. Man, this is an opportunity for my bold faith to just do what I need to do. That's what Oscar Schindler did. He just had different lenses. That's what Rosa Parks did. She just had different lenses. That's what Martin Luther did. He just had different lenses. And you know what? Mark Thomas, that's what you do. And your wife Tiffany, you have different lenses. And you see life differently. I want you to take on the lens of God's word. And be the kind of person that can make a difference in this life. Why? Because you've got faith in the Lord. So I want you to get uncomfortable, serve the poor, and stop injustice and change your world. I want to close with this story. How many of you heard of, uh, like Popeye? Anyone like Popeye the Sailor Man? I liked him when I was a kid because he reminded me of me. You know, like I was nerdy and stupid and couldn't do nothing and felt like all the big guys were picking on me. You know, in the, in the cartoon of Popeye, there was this guy named Brudo or Brutus. And he was mean. And they were kind of fighting over, what's her name? Olive. You got to say it, oil. Olive oil. It's not O-I-L, it's oil. Olive oil. And they're fighting over olive oil. Now, olive oil is, I mean, she is something else. She's missing certain anatomies. I mean, she's just, she just don't have, I mean, you know, she is what she is. And you know the story every day, every time the cartoon comes on, there's this fight over this. And there's this guy that eats all the hamburgers. You know, and he's there just eating hamburgers. And there's all these, this little baby, I forget his name or her name or whatever. But it's all every 30 minutes is this whole thing, this whole scenario of fighting and battling and not having enough and can't win and can't defeat. I feel like everything I'm trying to do right for God, nothing works out. You ever feel that way? You don't have to raise your hand. And then, all of a sudden, you know how it goes. Popeye 
stops and he says, I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. Remember that? (laughs) And then he reaches down inside him, pulls out a can of spinach, squeezes it, pops up in the air and he opens up his mouth. Takes that spinach. Then all of a sudden he gets big arms. He's bold. He's courageous. He's strong. He's filled with faith. Uh, And he goes and bam, bam, bang and kills or, or hurts Bruto and saves olive oil. And there's the story. And then at the end, it's Popeye says, I'm good to the finish because I ate my spinach. I'm Popeye, the sailor man. Our spinach is Jesus, the Word of God, faith, hope, living a life of no regrets. That all can be for each and every one of you as you go and face your lions in life. In Jesus' name, amen.